Welcome to our social landscape. I'm J.R. Woodward. Healthcare as a human right. As the 2020 presidential election draws near, the most common talking point among the Democrats, rivaling to become their party's candidate, is the issue of healthcare, specifically the idea of Medicare for all. Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren both support expanding the existing Medicare system to cover the entire population, though their mechanisms to achieve this vary somewhat. The remaining candidates are either against it completely or prefer a more gradual Medicare expansion. To my knowledge, no Republican lawmakers support the expansion of Medicare specifically, nor universal coverage more generally. At the root of the health care debate in the U.S. is the question of whether health care is a right of citizenship, like the right to vote or the right to protest, or is it a privilege, like driving or retiring? We have historically viewed health care as a privilege, a commodity, to be bought and sold in the market. I propose that we would be better served viewing health care as a social service guaranteed to all our citizens and doled out equitably consistent with many nations around the world. I feel healthcare is a fundamental human right for at least three reasons. And for the purposes of this post, I will conflate healthcare as a human right with universal healthcare coverage, since countries that see it as a right typically provide universal coverage, and countries that provide universal coverage typically do so because they see it as a right. First, the Declaration of Independence claims that Americans have, quote, an unalienable right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, end quote. It would seem that life, particularly a healthy one, is imperative in order to enjoy liberty or pursue happiness. Second, the United States has signed on to the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, 1948. We were an original signatory, and Eleanor Roosevelt, wife of former President Franklin Delano Roosevelt, was on the drafting committee. Article 25 states, everyone has the right to a standard of living adequate for the health and well-being of himself and his family, including food, clothing, housing, and medical care, and necessary social services. Our courts, however, have never ruled that this document applies to health care in the United States. Third, the U.S. is one of the only nations in the developed world that does not guarantee health care access to all its citizens. Over 120 countries provide this access, and we are the only developed Western democracy that does not. One might be tempted to say, well, just because other countries are doing it doesn't mean it's right for America. However, when you examine the health status in countries around the world, it is clear that it is. According to the World Health Organization. The United States ranks 37th out of 191 countries based on overall performance. Our system excels in advanced technology, but lags behind in overall levels of population health, health system responsiveness, extent of health disparities, and the distribution of financial burden, among others. When the U.S. is compared to other members of the Organization of Economic Cooperation and Development, the OECD, a group of 36 democratic countries considered developed nations who control approximately 62% of the world's gross domestic product, our healthcare system looks even worse than the World Health Organization data. That includes many undeveloped nations. We are in the middle of the pack 
of the OECD for life expectancy, approximately 80 years, and self-rated health, but are at or near the bottom in avoidable mortality, infant mortality, population coverage, and financial protection. However, we are at the top in two important categories, healthcare expenditures per person per year, approximately $10,000, and healthcare spending as a percentage of our gross domestic product. We spend approximately 17% compared to the next closest country, Switzerland, which spends around 12%. So where does this all leave us? If nearly every country in the world views healthcare as a human right, and the U.S. is the only developed nation that does not recognize that human right in practice, and our health status is marginal relative to countries that do view healthcare as a human right, then why doesn't the U.S. view healthcare as a human right and provide universal care? This is a million-dollar question, complex and convoluted, beyond the scope of a short blog post or podcast. Therefore, I'm going to try and answer it anyway, using the sociological perspective. Peter Calero sums up the approach well. In quote, sociology as a perspective, as well as an academic discipline, directs our attention away from isolated individuals and towards groups, institutions, and the web of social connections that we call society. End quote. Applying this approach, one would ask what separates the U.S. from nations that view healthcare as a human right. First, I believe, is the Jeffersonian ideal that arose early in the country's development, exhibiting a mistrust of government, particularly a federal government, and celebrating self-sufficiency and individual responsibility. Focusing on the individual instead of our membership and social groups reinforces the belief that our lot in life, whether we have health care, high educational attainment, etc., is due to our own individual efforts within a supposedly meritocratic system uninfluenced by social factors. Another potential answer can be found in The Protestant Ethic and the Spirit of Capitalism, a classic book by German sociologist Max Weber. In simple terms, Weber postulated that the tenets of capitalism slid nicely next to the tenets of Protestantism and Calvinism. If God has predetermined who has been saved, one way to catch a glimpse of your prospects for salvation is to use profit and material success as a sign of God's favor. So both the economic and religious narratives in America focus on independence and looking out for self rather than a focus on the collective good. A final clue comes from French sociologist Pierre Bourdieu and his notion of economic versus social costs. Too often we separate the two and don't recognize the impact of the social on the economic. When governments ask sociologists to study healthcare or politicians discuss problems with healthcare, what do they typically want? To make it cheaper. But to base healthcare debates on cost saving dissociates the economic and the social, because what is social is economic, according to Bourdieu. There is nothing which lies outside this enlarged economy, he says. Sadness, joy, the fear of not being able to pay for your children's medical bills, the pleasure of breathing in clean air, the ability to exercise at night in your neighborhood, all of these things that universal health care could contribute to pertain to economics. So a savings in the short term, if such a savings would even exist, will be paid for by the collective in the long run. A healthier population is a happier, more productive one. I will close with a quote 
from the late Senator Edward Kennedy in a letter to Barack Obama a few months before Kennedy passed away in 2009. What we face is above all a moral issue. At stake are not just the details of policy, but fundamental principles of social justice and the character of our country. I urge you to consider these words in the voting booth this fall. Have a great day, and thank you for listening. Stop.